Father, we bless your name because you have heard our cries for mercy. You are our strength and you are our shield and our heart trusts in you. We praise your name and we give thanks to you that you are our great redeemer. You are um, and have always shown uh, your faithfulness to us, your love for us, your mercy, and we desire to be a people who praise you for your mercy upon us. Father, we desire this morning that our hearts are lifted in praising you and that you would open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word and that we would live accordingly. Father, I pray that you would bless this time in your word and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As you're seated, uh, the children that are heading to children's church are dismissed at this time. We are in the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth. If you have not been with us the last three weeks, we are in the last chapter, chapter 4 of the book of Ruth. Do you have a Bible with you? If you need a Bible, there's some in the lobby. Open them up, turn them on. Again, Ruth chapter 4. And if you have not read this, cha- this book or have not uh, been here with us, again, the account that we come to in the book of Ruth is there, there is a woman named Naomi and her and her husband Elimelech and their two sons leave their home city of Bethlehem and they go to the country of Moab. And while they are there, Naomi's husband Elimelech, he dies. They remain, her and her sons remain in the land for another 10 years, and during that time, both sons are married to Moabite women, and therefore disobeying what God had commanded his uh, people to not marry uh, women that are from, that are Moabites. During that time, both of the sons die, and in these cases, we don't know why these, the husbands die, but they die, and Naomi then tells her, both of her daughter-in-laws Go back to your families, uh, go back to your gods, and stay here, and may the Lord give you rest or peace, and and in the sense of give you another husband. And one of the daughters, daughter-in-laws leaves and goes back, but the other, Ruth, uh, tells her mother and in a sense begs and pleads with her and says, I will not leave you. I'm going to stay committed to you until the day that I die, and I will serve you, and I will go back to your land, and I will go back, and I will worship your God. And that is the case that the end of chapter one. In chapter two, they go back to Bethlehem, and it's during the barley harvest. And Ruth goes back, and she has nothing, as she says, she went away full, and now she returns empty. She even tells the people who know her, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which means bitter, because I'm bitter with the Lord because he's done these things to me. And in the midst of that, Ruth says, we need to eat. And so Ruth goes to work, and it just happens to be that she shows up in the field of a relative named Boaz, and we learn in chapter 2 that he is a man of integrity, a man who fears the Lord, and we see him show his mercy and his Uh, love to Ruth and Naomi by providing for her and telling her to continue to work in these fields that I own. Don't go anywhere else because it's dangerous in these other places. And so he provides for their uh, need of eating and care for them. And last week, we spent time in chapter 3, and there it is where Naomi has this plan, a risky, dangerous plan, and says, uh, I'm going to get you a husband. And so, Ruth, I want you to go and find Boaz. And after he's done with the sifting out of the grain from the stalks, and he lays down, and he's had his meal and drank, I want you to go and lay down next to him in the dark at nighttime, and I want you to uncover his feet. And she goes and does that, and Boaz wakes up not knowing what is going other than, lo and behold, there's a woman laying at his feet. And he asks who it is, and she says, look, you are a redeemer. Will you, in a sense, redeem us? Will you marry me? And in that, he uh, is, says, 
blessed uh, are you, and he says that this is a greater act than what you've already seen, and he uh, again explains what we saw in chapter 2 and says that all the people know, Ruth, that you are someone who is faithful servant to your mother-in-law, and he says, go to sleep. In the morning, we will handle the matter because the catch is there's another Redeemer, someone closer to me, and so we ended chapter 3 wondering, is Ruth going to be married to Boaz? Or is she going to be married to some stranger that she does not know? And in this, the big picture of Ruth, the big picture of the Bible is this. God's love and faithfulness is seen in His merciful care for His people. Look with me at Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it. And and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahalan, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The Word of God. The book of Ruth. And the Lord gave us these words through the power of the Holy Spirit, for men to write down that we could have this instruction and this great account from God's Word. Would you pray with me again? Father, we thank you that we have the book of Ruth to read. We thank you that we have the entirety of all of your Word and that we're not waiting for something else to be added. We're not waiting for another 
prophecy, but Lord, you've given us all of your words, and they are complete. We pray that we would see in your word this morning your steadfast faithfulness, your goodness, your kindness to your people, and that we would praise you. And so we ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this chapter 4, it is the morning that Ruth has gone back to her mother-in-law. She's been up during the night sleeping at the feet of Boaz, and he says, we'll take care of the matter in the morning, just as Naomi uh, uh, assured her daughter-in-law, Ruth, at the end of chapter 3. And when we look at the first six verses of chapter 4, we see this statement that I cannot redeem it. This is the first point that we see this morning, is Boaz goes to the city gate to do business, to the place in the sense of the court of law for the people. And so he gathers up 10 elders who would gather at the gate, most likely this covered area where they would gather together and to work through whatever business And the Redeemer who's closer, which Boaz told Ruth of, comes through that area at a certain time, and he calls him out, and he just says, friend, we have no name. It doesn't ever tell us who this Redeemer is. No name is mentioned, but he says, friend, or the word actually means a certain one. Hey, you, Mr. So-and-so, you come over here, whoever it is, the reader, the writer, specifically, uh, has a reason why his name is eliminated from here, and we'll see that as we proceed through this chapter. But the author removes the name of this uh, friend and his not mentioned whatever, and he says, look, we have some business that needs to happen today. And Boaz begins to explain and says, you know, Naomi, she is our relative, and she has come back from Moab. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, Boaz says, everyone in the city knows the story, Ruth. Everyone knows what you've done. And so it was most likely well known that he would know what, is, uh, what Boaz is speaking of. And look at verse 3. He says, then he says to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, but in the, it, in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he says, I will redeem it. Naomi's land is for sale, friend. You know Naomi, and you are the closer relative. And so this, you are having the chance to buy this property now. And if he would have bought the property that not only would financially Naomi be taken care of, but also preceding years to come as those harvests would come in, but he would also have the care of Naomi. And he says, if you want to buy it today, then buy it. He goes, yes, I will buy it. I will redeem it. I don't know if he called for his servant, get the money, whatever it may be, but I will redeem it. I wonder if he thought, what a deal. All I have to wait is a little bit longer for Naomi to die, and then I get it all. And we know that he already has other children. It tells us here that there's an inheritance that follows. So this man, um, most likely still married and also has children, says he will buy the field. But Boaz says, oh wait, there's one more thing. There's one more detail before you sign on the dotted line. In verse 5, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He's like, friend, remember our laws and leveret marriage? Her husband, Mahalan died. The father, Elimelech, died. And therefore, if you are to purchase this land and redeem Naomi, you also will take Ruth, the Moabite, as your wife to have a son so that the name can continue on down and that Elimelech's name and the clan of Elimelech does not uh, become or cease to exist. If you stop for a moment and you think about this response of this man, he is quick to take back his word. I will redeem it. Yes, I want the land. 
he hears about the Moabite, no, I cannot redeem it, verse 6, for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Faster than the wink of an eye, he gets out of this deal because he says you can, you can see that what he's in it for is just for gain. He wants the land for his own inheritance, but when he realizes that he would have to father a child, that that inheritance would be affected for his own children. And that the son that would be born there would have the right to receive the greater part of the inheritance in his children, which he already has. The land and whatever property he already owns would be in jeopardy. He actually says and uses a word that his inheritance would be spoiled for his children. And so he says to Boaz, take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Forget this ministry of taking care of this widow. I will not do that. And this is the response that you see. He's quick for something for himself, but if it's going to serve others or jeopardize the inheritance for his children, he wants out of that deal as fast as he can. And I reflected this week upon the call of Jesus Christ to those who would be followers of him. Those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus teaches, as we've read in the Gospels here before, he says to count the cost of following him. Luke chapter 14, verse 33, when Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Many people get excited when they hear about Jesus Many people get excited when they, when they hear that there is a way to be pardoned and forgiven and set free from slavery of sin and to be, not have to go to hell and be punished with the wrath of God forever. The problem, though, comes when they are faced with following Jesus and he calls that you would count the cost. You would give up everything and follow him. Last year when we were in the book of Luke, we read a text in, uh, in, in Luke, I'm sorry, in, and we also saw this in the book of Mark. And I want to read from Mark's account, the rich young ruler, in verses 21 through 22. Again, there's a young man who comes to Jesus and he's quite wealthy and he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to know about salvation. And Jesus says, here's what you do and then come follow me. In verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The response, though, is this, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And I believe that many times we want to respond to the Lord and we want to follow Him with all of ourself. And we're challenged because we always want something out of it. We're raised in a world where we want something. It's, it's, it's our sin nature, selfishness, greed, pridefulness. We're driven by doing something so that we get something out of it, just like the first Redeemer was going to purchase the land because he would get something out of it. But when he realized he had to make a sacrifice, nope, I can't redeem it. And I believe that many followers of Christ are affected in how they serve in the body of Christ because they want something out of it. People serve in ministry so that people would pay attention to them. People give in certain ways and let people known so that someone might praise their name. 
And what God calls for his people is that we would selflessly follow after his example that he gave his life. He is the greatest example of the servant who gave his life for us and he wants us to follow his example. So you need to use your gifts and abilities and strengths and serve the body of Christ, but it's not for your gain. It doesn't get you any more favor with God. You are simply to be obedient to the word of God and to love your neighbor as yourself and to use the gifts that God has given you and to be a generous giver as God provides for you just for the sake of serving the body of Christ. But we struggle with wanting something out of it and many times we want God to be pleased with us. And all that is is works righteousness. All that is is religion. Therefore, if you're serving, if you're giving, if you're ministering to others because you think God is more pleased with you today, you are badly mistaken. You are in error. God loves His people because He loves His people. And it's not because of anything that His people have done so that He would love us. He simply has freely chosen to love His people. Therefore, let us look to Boaz. And follow his example. Let us look to Ruth, who gave up living in her country with her family to serve her mother-in-law. Those are the examples that you see here of humble service that would glorify God when you read the book of Ruth. Do not be like this man who said, I cannot redeem it because it will spoil my inheritance. But what he misses out on is what Boaz and Ruth receive. He misses out on being listed in this legacy, this genealogy pointing not only to King David, but to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And so it is Boaz who says, I will preserve the family name. Look back at Ruth chapter 4. Look at verses 7 through 12. And the second point being, I will preserve the family name. I wonder how many of you have ever taken a risk that could have or did uh, bring great attention to your family's last name, or maybe shame the possibility of. Maybe your parents told you at one point or have told you when you go out, don't do anything to shame our family name. Maybe you've done wonderful things and your family name is well known Maybe there's certain things that have happened in your life and you have nicknames, whether good or bad, because of things you did that people saw and you're known because of that. But the names here in the book of Ruth are important as we've spent the last few weeks and seen the meanings of some of these names and we end the book of Ruth with a list of names. They point us to something greater Boaz not only decides to redeem Naomi and buy the land, but he risks the loss of his own name by saying, I will marry Ruth, and we will have a child, and he will have the name of Elimelech, and the son, Mahalon, and the name in that clan will be continued on. That is what Boaz is risking to do this great act and to serve and then to go into obscurity and no one to ever know his name again. It would be in a sense as if there was a boy that is born and his father dies and the mother gets remarried and there's a stepfather and this stepson and even if he adopted him but the son keeping his blood father's name to continue on, that's what is at stake here in what Boaz does when he says, I will redeem Naomi and Ruth. Look here at verses 7. It says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm the a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. If you weren't here the other week, we saw that in the Old Testament, a practice and one of the things that you, uh, the, the woman would do is if she was not going to be redeemed, she would then take the shoe or the sandal off of the person who refused Redeemer and spit in his face. 
But here, Boaz has set up that Ruth would be redeemed, that there would be a child born, and therefore there is a sandal that is exchanged. And it's an act of having this oath or this witness before all of these people that this is uh, my right is given over to Boaz, is what happens here. And Boaz says to all of them, You are all witnesses. Not only the ten elders are there, but possibly there is a crowd because you have other women and others who are responding after that. But whoever is at that moment, he says, you are witnesses that I have bought Elimelech's land, that I am going to keep the family name, and that Elimelech's name and his family will not fade off into obscurity. But this week I kept going back to verse 10. And I kept reading this and pondering this because he goes on and says, also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Remember, Boaz already has land. He has servants. He has a lot. He's not redeeming Naomi just so he has another field. He's not redeeming Ruth just so that he can have a wife or another wife. He does what is right, as we saw in chapter 2, That he's a man who fears God. He's a man of integrity. And he's one who shows steadfast love and care and kindness for his relatives in need. He says, I'm going to buy Ruth, who was married to Mahalan. And we're going to have a son to carry on his family name. When was the last time that you showed steadfast, faithful, loving kindness to another person, never expecting anything in return? When was the last time that you were reminded of the steadfast, loving kindness of our Lord and Savior that He's shown you? Because again, we see the great theme of God's mercy and love for His people in the book of Ruth and throughout the Word of God. But we must not stop and just reflect and give thanks for that. We must be obedient that He's called His followers to do exactly the same. Are you like Boaz? Are you following the example of Him and loving others and showing steadfast loving kindness? For Boaz, being righteous, fearing God, having the favor of God because of being obedient to the word of God, was more important than his name. Is your name to you so important? Is your status to you so important? Is your job, is your schoolwork, is your degrees, is the possessions that you own so important to you? that you cannot let go of it? Are they the things that devour the moments of your thoughts throughout the week? Or is it Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer? I pray that it is Jesus that you look to, that your mind is set upon things above, because He is our great Redeemer. I was reminded of John the Baptist. We've looked at John the Baptist's life here before, and when John the Baptist comes on the scene, when you read be after when, when Jesus comes and is baptized by John the Baptist, and then Jesus, we read in Scripture, other people then begin to go to Jesus and are baptized. And John the, Bapti- John the Baptist, he points out correctly that Jesus is greater when his disciples ask him about it. And his words are selfless because if you remember, crowds were flocking to John. Many of us like attention. We say we don't like attention, but we like attention when people give us attention. And people were coming to John the Baptist 
to be baptized because he told them that they were sinners. He was preparing the way of the Lord. And when his disciples came to him and said, John, people are going to Jesus. John said in chapter 3, verse 30, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase, must increase, but I must decrease. You realize that that's completely opposite than our world? Our world says, I should increase and you should decrease. You're taught it from a child in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your culture. I should increase and everyone else should decrease. And yet John the Baptist sets the example for you, just like Boaz and Ruth. He, Jesus, should increase and we should decrease as we serve and follow him. In, in Luke chapter 7, we see later that Jesus then speaks of John the Baptist. It says, I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John, pointing to the fact that John was a faithful servant of the Lord and being obedient to the Lord God Almighty. And Boaz, here in Ruth, is selfless because of this humble act. And God blesses Boaz for this. Look back at verses 11 and 12. Here is what the people say who witness this great, loving, merciful act. In verse 11, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. If you don't know who Rachel and Leah were, you can read in the book of Genesis as they uh, gave birth to the, to the men who led into the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They say, bless you. May the Lord bless you abundantly, that you would have children like Rachel and Leah, that you would be blessed by the Lord God Almighty. But he says that his name be renowned, famous. And every one of these blessings come true. These blessings, these prayers that the people state there at the city gate come true. Look at verses 13 through 22. In the last point, he has not left you without a redeemer. Verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. But it says the Lord is the one who did the work. It says the Lord is the one who gave Ruth conception. It is the Lord who made the birth of a son possible. When we began, it seemed impossible. But what is impossible, the Lord makes possible. And if you caught what the people say and what happens here in verse 13, it's the Lord who redeemed Ruth. Yes, Boaz served and was obedient. But did you read that? It's the Lord who redeemed Ruth. It's the Lord who caused a son to be born. It is the Lord who brought redemption to Ruth through Boaz. And it's the Lord God Almighty who redeems His people today. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So again, in this book of Ruth, in this theme, as you look at their examples and we read the, the words of Scripture, the constant theme for the believer is to follow the example of Jesus, as the book of Philippians tells us, that he humbled himself. People, are we quick to seek out being servants and humbling ourselves, following the example of Jesus so that we are not driven by anything to gain anything for ourselves. 
Because just as yesterday there was a memorial service in this place for a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that the person that when they die can take with them other than the hope of redemption in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And therefore, all the things that you own in this world, all of the status and your, based in your name, all of your great accomplishments are nothing. Maybe to this world something, but before the Lord are nothing. And therefore, humble yourself before the Lord so that at the proper time He may exalt you. If you had not been with us and had not read through the book of Ruth, I read it this week. And when you go back to Ruth chapter 1, read Ruth's point when she tells Naomi that she's going to go back with her no matter what. You see that she trusts in God, willing to turn from idols and turn to the living God and worship Him alone. In verse 14 of Ruth, chapter 4, the women go on as this son is born. Again, now Naomi, Grandma Naomi, is sitting there with a, a, grand, a, a child in her lap. And the women of the town who said Naomi, and she says, no, call me Mara because I'm bitter. She's Naomi again, which means pleasant and they say, blessed be the Lord, verse 14, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Do you see the praise doesn't go to Boaz? They don't say, blessed be Boaz. Hey, he's such a good guy. Let's give some praise to Boaz because of what he's done. They say, blessed be who? The Lord. Are you quick to bless the name of the Lord for all that has happened in your life? Are you quick to bless his name and exalt him? Or are you like Naomi at the end of chapter 1 who is quick in her bitterness to curse the Lord and to say that he sinned against her? Be like these women who would be quick to bless the name of the Lord. It says, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name, the name of the Lord, be renowned in Israel. Do Church, do people that know you, that you will see this week, do they know the name of the Lord because you lift up his name? Or do they wonder, oh, you know what, those people, they're so nice. I wonder if they're a Christian or not. Church, you only have so many minutes left in your life. We think days, years, wait till I live to be I don't know, some guy this week who was like the oldest uh, person living in the earth. I think uh, my daughter said he was 113, died this week. Oh, he had 113 years of life. In the scheme of eternity, that's minuscule. And we always think we have another day. We always think we have another moment. We always think we have another breath in life. But you may breathe your last today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do the people around you know that? Or do they just think you're a good, moral, great person? May the Lord's name be lifted up because of the way that we serve and humbly follow Him. It says in verse 15, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Remember, Naomi left Bethlehem with her family. She said, I went to Moab full and I came back empty. Yet she was given a daughter-in-law who they say is worth more than seven sons. Yet in her mind, I went away full, I came back empty. But then the theme comes around at the end of this account. Her life is full again. And she's praising the Lord again. And that's a wonderful thing. But know this, even as we turn in the next week and begin to go to the book of James in our study, that there are trials that come into your life. Yes? There's trouble, just like Naomi experienced in her life. Yes? Some of you are like, I'm in the midst of trouble right now. And as James points this out, as we will see, God allows trials and troubles to come into our life to build the faith of His people. 
Therefore, let us not be people who waver and say, praise the Lord on the good day when the bank account is full and when I'm feeling great because my health is good and my family's doing well. And then when everything falls apart, we become like Naomi and say, cursed be God. Let that not be a part of your life Because I think what happens is many of us are moved by our emotions more than by the Word of God. And therefore, when we are in the midst of the trouble, we so easily fall into, woe is me, and we lose sight of the Savior. May we be like the women at this gate who say, blessed be the name of the Lord, in the good and in the bad. When day is great and when the trouble is knocking on our door. And so we bring the book of Ruth, this short book, this short account, to an end. And if you step back and look at the big picture of Ruth, again, you see the big picture of the Bible. You see God's love and faithfulness that it's seen in His merciful care for His people. Three times in the book of Ruth, we saw this in the other chapters in Ruth, three times there's a word that's used about kindness. It's this word in the Hebrew, the word hesed. And that word is used repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Hesed meaning God's faithfulness, His goodness, and His kindness. And when we read throughout the Word of God, we read that God is always faithful, He is always good, and He is always kind. And many times I think that we think of God's love, we think of God's provision, but we need to be reminded of God's kindness. We need to be reminded of His steadfast mercy upon His people. And I believe when we focus in and are reminded of God's kindness and His love and His mercy for His people, then the things of this world that seem at the top of our list right now so troubling become minuscule because His greatness and His glory consume our minds. And His kindness fills our hearts. And so we see God's loving kindness to Naomi through Ruth, through Boaz. Even when Naomi comes up with this risky, dangerous plan to send Naomi out in the dark to go find a husband, God uses all these plans for his glory. Even when she just showed up in Boaz's field just by chance, God directed all these things for his greater glory. And you see it in the last few verses of Ruth. Look at verses 18 through 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nation. And Nation fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And many of us at many times in the Word of God come to genealogies and we just kind of skip through them. It's okay. You can admit that you do. It's like, I got to get to the end. Let's get past Matthew chapter 1. I just want to read about the birth of Christ. I don't know anything about these names. You need to know that the names are in there for a reason. I love the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. And when it describes everyone who was gathered around rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem there, it lists all these names. And when you read all those names, it's like, man, I got to get, oh, they were working and they were working there. Names are important in the Word of God. And here at the end of Ruth, we have some very important names. And you look at it, you go, where was that first Redeemer guy? Mr. So-and-so, the friend. He's not listed. Boaz was willing to give up his name, and he's mentioned. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1, you see this genealogy as well. So turn to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 
It says this in verse 5 and 6. You'll recognize the names. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. You see, before the nation of Israel ever called out for a king or needed a king, God had a plan to provide a king, King David, who would then, down through the line, lead to the greater king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ. But do you see in the genealogy of the birth of Jesus Christ, you have both Boaz and Ruth named. And when you read genealogies in the Bible, the women are not included. And here you have four women included in the line leading to Mary who gave birth to Jesus. And you read this and you say, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab? Who's Rahab? You ever read about Rahab? A Gentile? A prostitute? And because of her heart change and trust in God, she was spared. And she marries Salmon. And they have Boaz. Boaz, who then marries a Gentile, a Moabite, Ruth who then they father, Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of King David. When I read this account, I am thankful for the names because it reminds me that there are Gentiles in this list. And I, being a Gentile, have hope when I read Rahab and I read Ruth because God, in His love for His people, the church, includes His people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And therefore, the scene that we read in the book of Revelation, when people are gathered around the throne of God, you see people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And therefore, praise the Lord that His plan included His people that are Gentiles. I want you to look at one last passage, Titus chapter 2. Turn to the far right-hand side of your Bible, Titus chapter 2. It says this in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer focused on in the book of Ruth, and Jesus Christ is the greater and the greatest kinsman redeemer. Because what Jesus Christ has done is that He has humbled Himself and He gave Himself and gave His life that He would redeem His entire family, that He would redeem His church, His people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And if you think back to the day when Jesus Christ was riding a donkey into Jerusalem and thousands of people were waving the palm branches and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were declaring Him the Son of King David, that those people put their cloaks on the ground, they sang the praises of Jesus, and then just a few days later, they cried out, crucify him. And the great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, fulfilled that work of redemption at the cross. And as he was nailed to the cross, he shed blood before he died. And that blood was used to redeem to purchase, to buy off of the, slating, the, the, the slave trading block of sin, his people who are chained in bonds, in slavery to sin, if Jesus Christ doesn't redeem. And therefore, Jesus Christ, when he died, he died in the place of his people. And the wrath of God, the Father, was poured out upon the Son. And Jesus Christ died 
And on the third day, our great Redeemer lives. He rose from death to life, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death, so that you, a follower of Christ, are redeemed through faith in Jesus. Again, this is the picture of Ruth and the picture of the Word of God, the loving kindness of God displayed in the book of Ruth is the same loving kindness that He has for His people in Jesus Christ. If you have come into this place, if you are listening to my voice, and you've been far, distant, completely uh, in another world than following Jesus, it's because you are a sinner and you need salvation and you need redemption. And the only thing that I can tell you to have that is what Jesus says is to believe in Him. That He is Lord, Savior, God, and that what He did on the cross was sufficient enough to save His people from their sins. I can't tell you a fancy prayer. can't tell you come forward. can't tell you stand up where you're at or raise your hand. Nothing wrong with those things. But they don't save you. It's a work that the Holy Spirit does in your heart to open your eyes to the greatness, goodness, and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, and you believe. And for the believer, the follower of Christ, let me remind you this in a troubling world. May you be reminded of God's love for you this morning. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Heavenly Father, great are you. Great is your faithfulness. And we praise you this morning that you would have a plan before time to save your people. You didn't need us. You didn't need to create this universe. And yet you, in your great love and mercy, decided that you would. We thank you, Jesus, that you would give your life for us. We thank you that you would bear our sin and that you would receive the wrath of your Father because you love us. We praise you because you are our great Redeemer. Holy Spirit, I pray and ask that you would encourage and strengthen and build up the believer this morning who is facing the midst of trouble, and you would remind them of the assurance they have in you. And for those who are far from you, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.